Hello and welcome to another Perusia podcast. I'm Shabal Race, your host, and very excited about our guest. You may have um, noticed uh, he's appeared in a couple of our pilgrimages, both in Advent and Lent, and um, he was the first talk on, on both of those pilgrimages with great presentations. It's the founder of the Science of Sainthood, and his name is Matthew Leonard, a convert to the Catholic faith. He joins me now. We're going to learn more about his faith journey today. Hello, Matthew. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, Shabar. It's great to be with you. Thanks so much for joining. Uh, it's, it's been great just to see um, the science of sainthood really go strength to strength. And uh, you've really been building that up over the, over the previous years. Um, I'm excited to, to, to sort of talk about that towards the end of the show. But you've been busy. What, is that pretty much full time now? Uh, your, your time is working with science of sainthood? It is. Uh... When, when I discovered uh, the spiritual life, the spiritual patrimony of the Catholic faith, I just, I couldn't get enough of it. And uh, I've spent two, more than two years now just focusing solely on producing content for the spiritual life for Catholics so that we can discover that one thing necessary that Jesus talks about in Luke chapter 10. So between that and traveling around uh, when COVID allows me to, to yes. get on planes and go give talks, uh, that's pretty much what I do. Yeah, wow! Praise God. Um, you were we, we are familiar with you based on this the Saint Paul Center studies where we've seen you on Genesis to Jesus or Biblical Walk with Mary. We've seen you on other studies as well alongside Scott Hahn. So uh, you have been spending many times there, and I know through Perusia we've we've seen you on our, our those videos. Um, uh, so that was great. But before that, you were you were not Catholic at one stage. Um, <laughs> I'd love yes. to learn about. Uh, about a bit about yourself, uh, your your faith upbringing, and and what got you to the Catholic Church. Um, do you mind if we went just chronologically a little bit about your upbringing, and, sure. and then we'll get to that conversion? Yeah, I am. Uh, not only am I a convert, I'm a pastor's kid, and so my <laughs> my father was a Methodist pastor, and then he became a Pentecostal pastor. And if you know anything about the Protestant world, those are very different spaces to occupy <laughs> so uh when when we uh when we went pentecostal we were there for a couple of years and then there was a church split as there often is in mm -hmm. uh in some of these kinds of churches and uh my dad ended up retiring from the the pastorate at that point in time and we ended up bouncing around from church to church to church for a while and during this time, we were in a charismatic church for a little while. And then my folks put me into a Calvinist high school, which is very strictly Calvinist. And, and so I was getting, you know, charismatic church and Calvinist high school, which are two totally different things. They teach different theologies. I ended up going to Oral Roberts University uh, for my freshman year. And I graduated from a Swedish covenant school a few years later oh. in Chicago and during the midst of that time, I was, I was a missionary in Mexico for a little while with a kind of an Anglo-y, Catholic-y type of church. So I've been around the, the proverbial block, uh, and, and I like to say I was kind of a Protestant mutt uh, for a long, long time. And I got all kinds of different theologies. Everything was based around sacred scripture, obviously, but somehow everybody interpreted it differently. And really, uh, at the end of the day, Charbel, that's kind of what began to propel me not even thinking about it, but that's what started to propel me toward the Catholic faith. Yeah. Wow. Wow. What, um, what age were you, I guess, uh, at that time? So were you a teenager or a young adult in college? Did you say when, when did this sort of begin? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. So I met, I didn't know any Catholics, uh, hardly mm -hmm. at all growing up. They just were not part of my world. Um, 
I knew some kids that were in some Knights of Columbus kind of things, but it was just so foreign to me. I didn't know who they were. My life revolved around my youth groups and my Protestant churches. And so I just didn't know what it was. But then I met one Catholic family in the Calvinist high school that I went to of all places. And they, uh, in many ways, were kind of a typical Irish Catholic uh, American family, uh, you know, a little bit rough and rowdy at times, uh, but really yeah. faithful. And their parents had formed these, uh, these kids really, really well. And I, that was really the first time I encountered Catholic theology. So it was in high school and they knew their faith pretty well. Now in the beginning, I knew my Bible a lot better. And so I, I would get the upper hand on these uh, arguments and things that we would have. <laughs> but as time went by and these guys um, grew more and more in their faith, I, uh, I had to admit that I just didn't have answers for some of the things that they brought up or the questions that I had, they were able to answer relatively easily. And that became exacerbated when those guys went away to Franciscan University of Steubenville for college. And I went to Oral Roberts University and they got even more formed in their faith. And during the midst of this time, when I'm having these arguments and things with them, the, the Catholic mom, she's this, this woman is just a dynamo. Her name is Eileen Vogel. And she really, she had like her own Catholic library, you know, in her house. She's one of those Catholic moms who had yep. every book <laughs> under the sun. And so she yep, kind of feed them to me, you know, uh, all the time and was always kind of mothering me toward the faith. And uh, I, when I, I got through high school and I wasn't really, I mean, seriously looking at Catholicism at all. I just, you know, whatever I, I, I realized they weren't going to go to hell. And so that was, I, that was a plus, you know, you weren't anti-Catholic in any way in high I, school. I, well, I was taught to be anti-Catholic. Yes. So the, the theology that I was being taught was definitely anti-Catholic. In okay. fact, I've gone back and looked at some of my high school notebooks and it was, it, it was pretty obscene actually. Wow. And a lot of how they misrepresented what we believe and, some things that were said and whatnot. So there was an element of that. Uh, but the mm. fact that I met these people yeah. who embodied a faith that didn't really fit the way that it was portrayed in the teaching I was getting, that kind of throws you for a loop, you know, Absolutely. and plus they became my best friends. And so what am I going to do? You know? <laughs> so uh, it was a kind of a, it's kind of a back and forth, a little bit of a tug of war. I, I thought some of their beliefs were crazy, particularly about Our Lady. Uh, but I did recognize that they had a faith life. And when I went away to Oral Roberts University, I, you know, I kind of just set all that stuff off to the side and kind of lived my life for a few years. And well, what, uh, Oral Roberts, we're not familiar with that, but uh, wondering what, what um, uh, I guess, tradition is that, that college following? Yeah, I guess it would kind of, it would kind of fall into this whole Pentecostal, you know, charismatic type of school or Roberts was a very famous televangelist here in the States uh, back in the like seventies and eighties. And uh, so it's, it's still a, it's still a vibrant college. And actually there are several Catholics that are working there now. So who knows, but uh, (laughs) it was a, it was a, it was a fine time in life. And I just kind of forgot about the whole Catholic question for a while. And, uh, and then one night, a few years later, I was still in my early twenties. I w- had still been getting these books from this Catholic mom after I'd come home from school and, you know, I re-engaged my friends and we're still having these discussions and things. 
And one night I was at a cafe in Wheaton, Illinois. And Wheaton, Illinois is kind of what, what Steubenville is to the Catholic faith in, in the States. Wheaton is to the evangelical Protestant world. This okay, is where they have the Billy Graham Center and stuff like this. Oh, yes. So I'm at a cafe there. And I've been reading some stuff that had been given to me on baptism uh, by the Catholics. And I kind of brought it up in conversation with some friends of mine. And I said, you know, hey, is, do you guys think the baptism is necessary for salvation? And this is, look, you got to understand, my dad has a PhD. My mom has a ma- had a master's in theology. It wasn't like I talked theology all the time. I was a sports kid. We talked about girls. We talked about sports, right? Yep, yep. I, but this stuff was <laughs> bothering me, right? So I brought it up. And my, my, there was an argument that ensued. I mean, there were several of us at the table. Some of us believed that baptism was necessary. Others said, no, was it infant? Was it adult? Was it sprinkling? Was it immersion? And very quickly, Charbel, it became apparent that not all of us agreed, you know? And uh, I said, well, it's like the elephant in the room. How are we supposed to know who's right on this? Because we could all whip out a Bible verse, you know, here or there, John 3, 5. Uh, unless you're born of the water and the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God, you know? So baptism must be necessary, but we could point to Romans 10, nine, where all you have to do is believe and confess with your lips that Jesus Christ is Lord and you will be saved. And so maybe baptism isn't necessary. So we could go back and forth this kind of thing. Right. I said, well, how are we supposed to know who's right? And someone said, well, we have the Holy spirit to guide us. And I said, yeah, you got him and you got him and you got him and you got him and I got him and we all disagree. So like, how are we supposed to know? And I didn't realize it at the time, but I was really wrestling with Aristotle's principle of non-contradiction. You know, something cannot be and not be at the same time in the same respect. The wall behind me is yellow. It doesn't matter if I believe it's black. It is what it is, right? God is who he says he is. It doesn't matter what I believe about him. Uh, As Thomas Aquinas says, truth is conforming one's mind to reality. You know, so uh, I, I kind of recognized this, but I didn't. I didn't know what to do with it. And so the first thing I did was went home and I talked to my dad, who again has a PhD, really smart guy. And uh, in fact, he has a PhD in the canon of sacred scripture. And I said, look, how come Catholic Bibles are bigger than ours? Why do they have seven more books? (laughs) And Charbel, if I'd gotten straight answers at that point in time, I would have never continued. Uh, But there really weren't good answers, you know, and so it kind of drove me to continue to read. And the first thing I did, I didn't go back and start reading Catholic stuff. I went back and started reading Luther and Calvin. And uh, what I discovered, I already kind of knew it, but so many Lutherans don't believe what Luther taught. Uh, So many Calvinists don't believe what Calvin taught. And there are all kinds of different Lutherans and there are all kinds of different Calvinists and not to mention the more than 40,000 plus other Protestant Mm -hmm. denominations, right? So uh, that really kind of shook me. And I kept reading and reading and reading until eventually I found myself in the arms of the, of the church fathers. And once you hit the church fathers, man, <laughs> it's a slippery slope into the arms of Holy Mother Church. <laughs> Praise God. So um, you were out of college by the time uh, that happened? What, what, did you yep. go to did you work? Um, I did. Stuff? Yeah, I went to work in, in downtown Chicago. I was, you know, kind of working and living the life and living the dream. And then I kind of got a call from the Lord to go to the mission field. And uh, it and during that time, I was, you know, toying with the Catholic faith. I was in reading, okay. I was investigating that kind of stuff. But when I, I kind of got the call to the mission field, I said, all right, time out. And I kind of put everything on hold. 
I'm not going to go down that road. I need to focus on this mission that I think that I'm supposed to go do. Well, the problem was I first went to Guatemala to learn Spanish on my own. And then I ended up living in Mexico for more than a year. <laughs> and it is so ridiculously Catholic. I mean, yes. there's a church or a shrine <laughs> on every street corner, right? So I couldn't <laughs> escape it. And what I found myself doing was sneaking off uh, from, you know, in my free time, I would sneak off, I would find a Catholic church and I'd go in there and pray. Wow. And, uh, I, it was kind of hard to hide. I mean, you're, you know, one of 10 guys who is as white as I am in the middle <laughs> of Mexico, you know, trying to sneak off anywhere. It just doesn't work very well. <laughs> so people were, people kind of knew, but it was a big enough town that I could kind of get away with it. And all I, all I did was just bring up more questions just more and more questions that I had to deal with. And so now I'm in my mid twenties. And uh, when I came home from the mission field, I knew that uh, I had to get some answers and because wow. uh, I was kind of at a crossroads and the Catholic mom, Mrs. Vogel said, how about if we go to Steubenville, Ohio, or, or, and, and why don't you get, you know, kind of check the faith out there. She didn't want me to, to check it out where we live because Maybe the, the formation was a little rocky at that time. And I was like, no, 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 no. I don't really, you know, I'm not really interested. And she said, no, listen, um, I will find you a place to stay and uh, I'll drive you there myself. Now, that's a good pause here. Chicago to yes, yeah, like eight hours. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's, a, it's a haul. <laughs> yeah. uh, and and let me pause here and back up just a second because something plays into this part of the story, Charlotte, which you probably get a kick out of. But while I was still very much a Protestant, my parents, my mother, uh, who's now deceased, she had developed a very deep devotion to St. Therese. Wow. Which is highly unusual for a Protestant. They just don't do that. You know, she made a pilgrimage to Lisieux. She wrote a children's oh. book on the little flower. I mean, she was, what? we had a statue of her. It was in our backyard. My dad is a Protestant pastor and there's a Catholic statue in the backyard. Okay. So my mom was this kind of closet Catholic, which freaked me <laughs> out. All right. <laughs> Cause I was like, man, they're all going to go to hell. And uh, so my mother had written a book on the covenant and covenants in scripture. And uh, Scott Hahn had heard about this and uh, had grabbed her book and was using it to teach a course uh, at Franciscan oh. University. And so uh, we ended up going to the East Coast, my parents and I, and they, the, the Hans found out that we were going to be passing near to Steubenville and they invited us over to their house for lunch because they wanted to talk theology. Well, I knew who Scott Hahn was because he had uh, attended a bunch of conferences at the the Calvinist high school that I grew up in. I'd never met him, but when mm -hmm. he converted to Catholicism, I heard about it, even though I didn't know who he was. Okay. So I knew this guy was a convert. I knew he was a, you know, he was persuasive, yada, yada. So when we got invited over to their house, I refused to go inside. I thought, wow, I am going to show these Catholics what I think <laughs> of their faith. And I literally sat in a car for three hours in front of uh, the Hans house while my parents had lunch with them. And uh, it was kind wow. of my, you know, my in your face, you know, kind of a moment. So now fast forward to where I was in the story a few years later, Mrs. Vogel says, you know, let's go to Steubenville. I'll drive you, find you a place to stay. Don't worry about it. We'll check it out. 
you know, I want you to, to kind of breathe the scented air of Catholicism. <laughs> so we drove and uh, we ended up at the footsteps of the same house I'd sat in front of for several hours uh, a few years previous, which was oh, the my goodness. Yes. And that's where I was staying for the weekend. <laughs> oh. <laughs> And, and they remembered, they remembered me sitting out in front of the house. And, wow. uh, yeah. So that was my, my, you know, it was kind of my introduction. And, uh, I ended up moving to Steubenville a few months later and entering RCIA. And, uh, I still didn't know if I was going to convert to be honest, Charbel. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, interrupt me at any point in time. If you, yeah, if you have I'm questions just fascinated. Too. Is the Scott Hahn house, uh, is it the same one that is in now? Is that the, no, is that it's the a, he lived in a different house. There's a okay. few doors down at the time. Okay. Uh, so I ended up moving there and uh, I was not in classes. I, was, I had no car. I had no job. I was $25,000 in debt on my student loans. Oh. Just two years previous, I had a really good job. <laughs> I was living the high life. Yes. And I thought, you know, what in the world has become of my life? Uh, I'm walking back and forth to classes. I'm not even a student. I'm just sitting in some classes and going to RCIA. Like, what in the world am I doing? And to, and to kind of draw it all to a head, my mom was at home dying of cancer at this point in time. Yeah, wow. And she had encouraged me to, to go to Franciscan to get my questions answered because, again, she was a kind of a closet Catholic. Yeah. But... Um, I was hanging on by a thread, you know, I didn't, didn't really know uh, if I was supposed to be there while my mom was suffering. Uh, also, I didn't know whether or not the Catholic faith was actually real. And because it's so foreign, you know, in, yeah, in so many absolutely. ways uh, to the way that I was raised. And uh, so I told the Lord one night, not long after I got to Steubenville, I said, uh, either you make it crystal clear that I'm supposed to be here or I'm leaving. That was that. The very next day, not, not 12 hours after I prayed that prayer, uh, I was taken over to the, the uh, administration building and without any transcripts or records, in an hour and a half, I had applied, been accepted, enrolled, and scholarshiped into the master's program. <laughs> and I mean, Charbel, I was so poor at this point. <laughs> I remember standing there in front of the registrar's desk and saying, okay, God, I'm not sure exactly what just happened, <laughs> but I don't even have money to buy pencils. Like that's how poor I was because I hadn't worked in a year and a half. You know, I've been in yeah, Mexico. There, I don't know, two minutes later, a guy walked around the corner and handed me a $500 voucher to go to the bookstore and get whatever it is I needed. <laughs> and I didn't go to the bookstore at that point in time. I, I went to the Adoration Chapel and uh, I knelt down and I said, okay, uh, I think I'm where I'm supposed to be. And, I, and to be honest, I wasn't even supposed to get the scholarship. It was, a, it was called a Newman grant. And it was for, for people who had been in some form of ministry full time, which I fit, but had become Catholic already. They had to contact a bishop in Minnesota who oversaw the scholarship and get a dispensation for me. And the guy said, yeah, go ahead and give it to him. Wow. But uh, I finished off that... Uh, that Lent and ended up coming into the church, uh, that Easter. And it was the, it was the greatest moment of my life. It changed everything for me in every single way. Praise be to God. Wow. I have to ask, uh, you obviously had a faith in Christ all this time. Can I ask, um, 
when you always were brought up as as a Protestant, was your faith strong? I mean, obviously you went on a mission. You were you were going to church. Your pastor, your dad's a pastor. Your mum's writing books. <laughs> um, <laughs> your faith, your personal faith, um, there and then, um, because you were sort of so exposed to different traditions. Um, what was your relationship then up until that point? Because I, I do want to ask a, a similar question as a Catholic, but but as a Protestant, what was your relationship with Christ then? Um, yeah, it's a great question. Uh, you know, I think there's a point in time when everyone has to take their faith for themselves, you know? Yes. Uh, and when I say I grew up in the Protestant faith, I mean, I really grew up in the Protestant faith. We were in church for Sunday morning service, Sunday night service. Oh. Okay. Tuesday night Bible study, Wednesday night, you know, Thursday night potluck, and then weekends were uh, youth group. And it had different iterations depending on what church I was in at what given time, but we were in church all the time. And I had a really strong faith. I, I hate to say it, I was most of the time, I was no angel, but I, I, there just is never a time when I experienced any kind of a crisis in faith. You know, it was right. not, there was never that kind of thing. Um, I certainly made plenty of mistakes, uh, but I, I never left the faith uh, ever. In fact, even when I was looking at the Catholic faith, I, the wrestling match that was going on inside of me was the, the fact that this God that I thought that I knew uh, was kind of changing and moving the deeper I went into the faith. And it wasn't God, obviously, who's changing. It was me. And things yes. are, you know, I, I was looking at things through a new lens, uh, finally. And it completely revamped uh, the way it is I even looked at God uh, and how I related to him. And, uh, but it was a strong faith. It wasn't like a giant jump from atheism or anything like that into the faith. I always knew that Jesus was the Lord. It's just, who are you, Lord? You know, I want to love you appropriately, and who are you? Wow, that would have been yeah, it would have been very, it would have been very difficult just in prayer life alone and over those years of of of. It was moving, terrifying, Charbel. Yeah. yeah, it was it was it was yeah. terrifying because yeah, I can tell you there was a point in time, and I'm sure other converts have experienced something similar, where you think you know the Lord, you think you mm. you've been taught mm. the truth, for, you know, growing up, and you are solid in your faith and all the rest of it, and all of a sudden you see all that just kind of crumble. And you feel, at least I did, I felt absolutely unmoored for about nine months of my life where I knew Jesus was Lord. I just had no idea where, where he was, you know, and what I had to do in order to get to him because I just wasn't sure what was, what was real and true with regard to these different faith traditions. And that was scary. Yeah. Well, well, I have to now ask then, um, as a Catholic, you, you became Catholic did that how did that change your relationship and um what is it like now as a catholic <laughs> yeah on that first easter vigil night when i came into the church i had this deep realization uh of of something now i had a my parents did not come to the vigil my mom was too far gone with the cancer and my dad they just couldn't travel my sister and my brother-in-law did come and my brother-in-law is a pastor and they were obviously very opposed to me becoming Catholic. My best friend at the time and his fiance also drove. So they drove a long way all day to get there. I had places set up for them to stay, et cetera, et cetera. But when they came to the vigil, um, 
they weren't happy. <laughs> I'll put it that way. And I'll never forget when I turned around at my confirmation, you know, there was a couple of thousand people in this field house and I, you know, every it's a college campus. So kids are going crazy. You're like, woohoo, new Catholics, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> but I looked at my family and, you know, stone face. Um, because really by me becoming Catholic, I was saying, you know, this is right. And where you guys is, is wrong, you know, and, and that's hard. Uh, the, the longer Easter or Lent had gone on, the, the more and greater this divide became between me and my family. In fact, my dad hadn't been speaking to me for weeks at a certain point in time. Yeah, wow. But um, the, when the liturgy was over, they went and they grabbed their unopened suitcases and they took off. Like at midnight, they left for Chicago. But what the realization that I had in the middle of the liturgy was when I, after I received our Lord, in the Eucharist. And I kind of floated back to the seat and I was the first person. Like I was seated front and center. I made sure I was first. My sponsor says I elbowed him out of the way <laughs> so I could be first. <laughs> and after I received our Lord and I came back to my seat, there was barely even any room to kneel. We were so packed. And I, after thanking the Lord for all he had done to bring me into the church, I remember looking at these people who were filing by me and it dawned on me in that moment that these people most of whom I had never met and probably never would were now my family. And they were my family in a way that transcended my blood relations because of the mm -hmm. sacraments. Not that anyone's ever going to replace my siblings or my parents or anything like that, but because of the sacramental mystical body of Christ that I had been incorporated into, these people were now my family. Uh, and, and it suddenly it didn't seem quite so lonely, uh, you know, anymore, mm. uh, knowing your family is going to leave, but you know, Charbel, you and I are brothers in yes. the Lord in Amen. a very real way. And th there's so much consolation in that. This is one of the things, I mean, traveling as much as I do, it doesn't matter what church I walk into, you know, That's whatever right. Catholic church it is, Saint this or Saint that, you know, I mean, those people are my family and I am theirs. And that is one of the most beautiful things I think about the Catholic faith in my experience of life now is that you start to view everything through the lens of family life, uh, because we're all made for the divine family of God. Yeah. Wow. That's beautiful. Praise God. Your, your father, is he still with us today? Uh, or is he, is. he yeah. yeah. And how is he doing? Um, still a pastor, still he, uh, I think he retired. He was doing some part-time work uh, just even, I don't know, a year or two ago in a congregational church uh, where he lives now in, in, uh, on the Illinois and Iowa border. And yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a great man. <laughs> he really yeah. is. He probably still wishes that I hadn't become Catholic. <laughs> we have some really interesting uh, discussions. And my dad is a, dad's a, he's just a sharp guy and he knows exactly where I am. He knows the arguments as well as I do. He just hasn't wow. had the grace to, to come in, uh, at, at least at this point. Fair enough. Okay. But that your relationship there is still is strong and you're, you're communicating it with us and you're, yeah, you know, absolutely. You're doing, you know. Yeah. You know what sharp about? Yeah. He knows full. In fact, he might even watch this interview. Who knows? Okay. Um, <laughs> but you, you know, what got me over the hump of my relationship with him was our lady. And uh, I mean, oh, wow. ironically, she was the biggest hurdle that I had in becoming Catholic because she was just so foreign to the way that I was raised because as a Protestant, you are, it is so beaten into you that anything that would detract that you think would detract from the glory of God is idolatry, you know? And that's why Mary had no place. 
now when you sit back and you think about it, you're like, well, you know, we talked about all the other characters in the Bible, but we, you know, but we never talked about our lady. And that was really more a reaction, I think, against Catholicism than anything yes. else. Because I mean, you're talking about the one woman chosen amongst all the billions ever born that was, you know, that bore God's son. I mean, it's crazy. So her honor is obviously her dignity is above anyone and everyone. And yet we just, if it wasn't Christmas time, we weren't even talking about her. Or if we were arguing yeah. with Catholics, you know, that was the only time she came in, in uh, conversation. So when I'm going through RCIA and I'm in at Franciscan, my boss walked up to me. I had a student job. My boss walked up to me and he said, hey, Matt, would you cover my holy hour? I said, sure. What's a holy hour? I didn't even know, you know? So he told me and I said, okay, that sounds biblical. I can do that. And uh, I said, what time? And he said, 2 a.m. I'm like, 2 a.m.? Like who does a holy hour at two o'clock in the morning? Who's praying then? So I, uh, I already said, yes, I had to do it. And so I went down to this basement chapel of a church that I ended up later getting married in. And uh, I, of course, I was the only one there because it's two o'clock in the morning. And I'm looking at Jesus in this, you know, monstrance saying, all right, Lord, is that, you know, is that really you, you know, I'm just checking. And as I kind of looked around the, the, the chapel, because you got to remember, this is all still new to me. You know, I, I was still Protestant. I didn't even know what adoration chapels were hardly, <laughs> but there was a big statue of Mary just off to my right. And I kind of averted my gaze, you know, and, and then my gaze landed on a big stack of rosaries that were right in front of me. And I was thinking, you know, this woman's hunting me down. And so uh, I had to deal with her and I, I knew the, the arguments here. It just hadn't made it to my heart yet. And uh, so I said, all right, Mary, here's your chance. If you really are who the church says you are, and you really are my mother. I want something from you. I want reconciliation with my father. Because at that point in time, we had not been speaking for several weeks. Oh, well, okay. And he was just really upset uh, with what I was doing. And I got it because it was basically a rejection of him and his tradition, you know, and it's hard. Mm -hmm. So I said, that's my, that is my intention. And then I prayed the rosary. That was at 2 a.m. At 2 p.m. that same day, a letter arrived from my dad asking for reconciliation. Wow. So... I, I kind of not only got my, my father back, but I, I gained a mother as well. And I have been falling in love with our lady every moment since. Awesome. <laughs> so my relationship with my dad is, is, is rock solid. Now it's great. That is awesome. Praise God. Um, and your brother-in-law, of course, has said, you mentioned he was a pastor as well. Is he still active? He is. In fact, he's now the kind of the equipment, his denomination, he's kind of the equivalent of a bishop. It's called, they call him uh, district district something or others but uh yeah he's he's kind of high up in his denomination you know what's interesting is that charbel after they left that liturgy i had never spoken to them about it for 18 years we did not talk about that uh because it was just so painful i think on both yeah. sides and i had a speaking engagement where they lived i took it on purpose because of where it was where they lived and i stayed with them and as I was walking out the door, when it was time to leave, I just stopped and thanked them for coming because it was a total act of love. That was it. Yeah. And it just, it was like the, the top kind of burst off of, you know, the whole thing. And we ended up having about an hour long conversation just about the church and faith life. And I got to explain a few things about where I'm coming from and what we believe as Catholics and all the rest of it. And it was really a beautiful and, and very healing moment. 
uh, in a lot of different ways. The Lord is always merciful this way. And I know there are a lot of people who are struggling probably right now, maybe they're even watching yes. and they're coming into the church or they're exploring the church and they're really terrified of, of their family relations and what might happen. And it's true. It's hard. It can be gut-wrenching at times. There are some friends I still have lost, still don't have a connection mm -hmm. with them at all. But at the same time, the Lord is always merciful and he always gives us the grace to deal with whatever it is we are encountering. And I would say, if you're in that situation, you leave it over to the Lord, understanding that there's nothing more important than your relationship with God and the fullness of it that you can find in the Catholic faith that will blow your doors off. And you run after it as hard as you possibly can and let the Lord take care of the rest. And he will, if you are faithful to him, he will be faithful to you. And, and coming into the Catholic church will change your life in ways you can never fathom. Wow. Very well said. That's a, that's an invite for all of us watching um, and anyone there uh, and please get in touch with us uh, to, to learn more. You, how many siblings? Um, have you got there? Did you? Did I'm the you, youngest of five. Yeah, youngest of five. Okay, wow, very good. And you now are married. When when did you get married? Um, in the journey. So as a Catholic, you married a a Catholic woman, or how? how did yes, that... I. You know, I've been Catholic for about a year already. When uh, I met my now wife, uh, Veronica, I don't think she would have you know looked twice at me if I hadn't been Catholic already. <laughs> in Steubenville, and, she was uh, someone that you met there. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, uh, her father was the, the academic dean for many, many years at Franciscan University and is still teaches philosophy there. So she's kind of, uh, you know, wedded into this whole <laughs> Steubenville machine here. But uh, we got married and um, just, I guess, two or three years after I became Catholic. I can't remember the chronology now, but we have six children now. And, and uh, here I am back in Steubenville. Never thought I'd live here, but <laughs> here wow. I am. Wow. <laughs> You did, um, you did work um, so uh, as a Catholic. So what was your career like then after that? Tell us a bit about your time as a Catholic. I mean, it's been 20 years sure. now, right? So. Yeah, it's, it can't believe it's gone that fast. Mm -hmm. So when I finished my graduate work, I actually went right from graduate school. We moved and I took a job uh, with Ave Maria University, oh, yeah. uh, which is now in Florida. At the time, it was in Michigan. And uh, I was there for a couple of, different, a couple of years and became the, the vice president there uh, for administration. And then when they moved the whole operation down to Florida and they built kind of a whole city and the whole bit uh, at Ave Maria, I, uh, I resigned because we just discerned that wasn't what, we, what the Lord wanted of us. Sure. And so I actually left church ministry uh, for a number of years. I was doing real estate development, but I always had this itch, you know, that just, I could not scratch. And I, you know, it's funny Charbel, cause I never wanted to be a pastor. I never, it was just not any desire of mine, but I could not stop talking about the faith. I just, it was always happening. And so I started teaching a Bible study at my local parish, even when I was doing real estate. And then that led to me teaching classes for our diocese. And uh, then I ended up getting uh, invited by uh, Dr. Hahn to to come and work at the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. And I ended up working there for more than a decade uh, and wow. getting involved in the production of the films and things that you were referencing previously. Like the, the man who you uh, snubbed for lunch. <laughs> That's exactly, no, it's funny how the Lord works, isn't it? <laughs> oh, praise God. 
Um, Ken, now, and uh, we've got about 10 minutes here together. I, I do want to sort of ask, uh, bef before I talk about the, the signs of sainthood, um, just, just maybe give us a little taste of uh, maybe, yeah, you talked about Mary, you've talked about the church fathers. Were there any specifics um, like uh, arguments that really were, what was, what was probably the easiest thing, I guess, was baptism one of the first things that convinced you um, that the Catholics had right? What, tell us a little bit about uh, just some of the arguments there that you were struggling with and some that maybe were not so difficult compared to others. Yeah, you know, I didn't really struggle so much with um, the sacraments. Uh, okay. It, it kind of made sense to me. And I think that one of the reasons why is that if you have a grasp of, of sacred scripture, and I had the Bible coming out of my ears as a kid growing up, you know, if you have that, it's kind of easy to see <laughs> easy. It's all a grace, yeah. but it was, it wasn't all that hard for me to understand where the sacraments come from and what, what they do. Okay. And, and I think that what happens is see the, the domino that falls Charvel, at least it was for me. And I've seen this with some other converts as well. Right. Once the authority domino falls. So what I was talking about before, where, how do we know who's right? You know, there has to be right answers. And Jesus said he was going to send the Holy spirit. Right. But I already knew from all the Protestant denominations I've been a part of that they taught so many different things. Now, a lot of them teach the same things, but a lot of them teach things that are at complete loggerheads. And so I knew there had to be an authority. Well, when the authority domino fell, when I could recognize that Jesus didn't come to write the Bible, he came to found a church. And then you're like, uh Oh, you know, which church, and then you start reading the church fathers and they're talking about all, you know, they're talking about the Eucharist and talking about obeying your Bishop. And St. Ignatius of Antioch says in the second century, you know, if you're, you're outside of your Bishop, you're outside of Christ. And you're oh. like, Oh my goodness, we don't have a Bishop, you know, like what, and what's this whole Eucharist thing. That sounds Catholic. You know, we don't have that. So when that domino falls, it's kind of easy for every, everything else to fall in line. Because if you say, yeah. okay, I recognize the authority of the church, what am I going to say about anything else? Right. I mean, they must be right about everything. And so that's why I say when, when I was dealing with our lady who was by far and away, the hardest thing for me to reconcile, I already knew that it was true, at least on some level, even if I wasn't completely ready to admit it. It just took me a while to work it out uh, that I could acquiesce on every level. And really, I think part of the one of the, the easiest things for me and or one of the most helpful things for me was John Henry Newman's uh, little booklet on the, the new Eve and, okay. and just kind of drawing out that that motif of Mary as the new Eve, because it was something I could relate to sacred scripture. And that really helped me get over the hump. And man, once I got over the hump, I was all in on Our Lady. Yeah, wow. Okay. Oh, that's good to know. Um, that's um, See, hearing your teachings now, you, um, and I've only got the experience of hearing you now, um, but uh, you, you're, it's very well-rounded. The Old Testament, the New Testament, that there's this link typology is right through your teachings. Um, did you have that as a Protestant? Um, and I'm curious to see uh, Protestant theology, like when, when you understand the Old Testament, is it really understood in also sort of, hidden in the new revealed in the new um so to speak how was yeah, that understanding? it's a great question I, so the answer is yes and no so okay. at the calvinist high school i went to there was typology discussed they, theirs mm -hmm. is a very covenant theology it's warped 
Um, but there are some, it, it's there. I mean, you, you'd go okay. back to, you know, how would you explain what Christ did here? Well, you could look back in the Old Testament, you could see this, that, and the other. It wasn't nearly as systematic as what we have uh, in the Catholic faith, at least in the way that it was taught to me. On the other hand, the charismatic church I was going to, I mean, it was a kind of a New Testament Christianity right. and the old was, you know, set off to the side. It wasn't like we didn't recognize the Old Testament as being part of scripture. Obviously it was, but you weren't getting homilies on, you know, that stuff. You were getting, okay. in fact, we didn't call them homilies, sermons. Yeah. <laughs> you were yeah. you were getting the sermons on the New Testament because it was Jesus Christ and everything is about Jesus. And obviously as Catholics, we believe that as well. I'm the way, the truth and the life, right? But we, we recognize as Catholics that the things that happen in the New Testament make sense and can be interpreted in light of what took place before it. And once that happened, once I saw that, holy moly, it was like my world changed. Okay. <laughs> uh, but I only got that fully in the Catholic faith. That's beautiful. Beautiful. So where to begin? If someone, uh, um, I think uh, you've written a couple of books, a few books. Uh, would you, what, what, can you sort of list them now for us? And how do we get in, how do we get them? Sure. Uh, the first book I wrote was called Louder Than Words, The Art of Living as a Catholic. And it's kind of an overview of the Catholic life going through uh, things like redemptive suffering and how to enter into meditation and what's Lexio Divina, what can we expect in heaven. But I show how all of that stuff leads to divine life, literally, like you and I are made for a divine end, which I think is the public secret of the Catholic faith. We don't talk about this enough deification yeah. and the fact that we're going to participate in the divine nature of God. And then I wrote a book called prayer works, getting a grip on Catholic spirituality, where I go through the three stages of the spiritual life, which when I discovered them in the writings of Teresa of Avila, John of the cross, Augustine, Evagrius, and so many others that changed my world. I mean, the, and the reason why is because it gave pinpoint direction to my spiritual life and showed me that there are stages that I'm going to go through on my way in this deification process. And that changed everything in my spiritual life. The entire trajectory was, was over. You know, you see the ladder of div divine ascent in different people's, you know, like icons and things like that. That's what it's all about. It's how you climb to God. Yes. And I go all the different modes of prayer and things as well, which is obviously overlaps with our movement in the spiritual life. So those are the two books I wrote and, uh, and really Catholic spirituality, uh, Charvel is it Christ himself says is the one thing necessary. And this is what I have dedicated my life to. I mean, all these other things that we have in the Catholic faith are obviously important and they play into your spiritual life. But at the end of the day, do you want knowledge or do you want relationship? You know, God's not going to care whether or not I can recite the four Marian dogmas. He's not going to care if I can list the books of the Bible in order there. Those are great things. Right. And we need to know our faith. But when I stand before him, he's going to say, do I know you? You know, do you love me? And did you show it with the way that you lived your life? And that's the, the type of stuff that I teach now is what is ordered directly to that. That's powerful. And what we're talking specifically now, yeah, you're dedicated now. You you started a, a next level academy, which you understand is the science of sainthood. Can you talk about that? Um, what is it and how can we, you, you have a special for our viewers and, and listeners, um, those who can get a taste of it, but what is it? And give us a bit of an idea of uh, how that is going. Gladly. Uh, so Next Level Catholic Academy is what I founded. And I, when I originally thought of it, I'm like, hey, I want to take Catholics to the next level, you know, because it's a lot easier to go from bad to good than it is from good to better. 
And that's where Catholics need to go. We need to yes. be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect, as Jesus says. And there is a science to this that the saints have laid out. And so the premier course inside of the academy, and basically this is what I'm kind of now calling the entire enterprise, is the science of sainthood. And I, it's a series of more than 100 full, fully produced professional videos and meditations and Lexio Divina and saint passages that lay out step by step by step, starting with what is the mystical life and what is our end of deification. And I walk you through each one of the steps of the, of the spiritual life in the way that the saints laid them out, because this was an eye-opening thing for me. And uh, the science of sainthood is, is so deep in the tradition of the church. In fact, I didn't come up with the name. That's, that's what the saints called it. And the reason why is because we're not meant to just kind of tread water in the Catholic life, waiting to die or for Jesus to come back, whichever happens first, we are supposed to make progress toward divine life right now. And the science of sainthood is what the saints laid out. Because again, at the end of the day, that's what you're called to, right? That's what I'm called to. It's what you're called to. It's not a cliche. This is the reality. We are called to be saints. And there is a specific path that's laid out because we're headed toward a specific destination. So that's what the science of sainthood does like 10, 12 minute long videos and meditations that unpack it step by step. Great. You also have a, 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 with those videos there, is there a supplemental workbook with that? There are some. So for the first 15 lessons, yeah, I have a, a, a I created a separate study called Catholic mysticism and the beautiful life of grace. And it's really the first 15 lessons or so of the science of sainthood proper. And you mentioned uh, that I've kind of a, a special, so to speak, if people go to science of sainthood.com uh, you can get a couple of weeks, absolutely free, no credit cards, no nothing. And you can get the first 24 lessons uh, that are in the science of sainthood. You'll get, you know, get some emails asking if you would like to join the full Academy uh, the full science of sainthood. Um, you can ignore them if you want, or you can take a look and, and join. I th this stuff transformed my life. And I, I, it excites me to a, a level that I can't fully express, but it has <laughs> radically transformed my life and how it is that I encounter our Lord. Even when I don't feel like I'm encountering our Lord, now I know what's happening in the spiritual life and I can make spiritual progress. Praise God. So that website, um, again, what, what's, I'll put that Sci on the bottom. Scienceofsainthood.com. Awesome. And do they have to type in anything to get the two weeks free? Or uh, there's a little, yeah, there's a little form right at the top okay. of the page. You just put your name and your email address and we send you a login and a password and you're in. Wow. And, and that's that. Wow. Fantastic. Two weeks. Make sure you do it. Go to scienceofsainthood.org. Please, um, Dot com. Dot com. Sorry. Com. <laughs> whatever's on the screen. Um, but yeah, sign up and do it. I, I've, I'm, I did the first uh, 10 or so myself and I, I've got to work through them now. I'm excited. There's over a hundred. So, so there'll be no ending. You just keep adding as we go. It could be 200 I, I, eventually. Yeah, well, we'll see. I mean, I'll, I'll do it as the Lord leads. I'm constantly praying to see what the Lord wants me to do. And um, I'm, I'm posting, uh, I don't know, like number 110 or something like that tomorrow. Wow. <laughs> Praise <laughs> God. Days for, for doing this. So yeah, no, it's, it's an ever expanding thing. And, and part of the reason why is because there's so much to the spiritual life, but it doesn't need to be intimidating. I think a lot of people get intimidated when they read Teresa of Avila, John of the Cross and others, but I break all this stuff down in layman's terms that make it really easy to understand and put into practice. Yeah. Wow. Congratulations on that. It is brilliant. I, I have to say, um, and it's so easy to follow. So I highly, highly recommend it. We'll be promoting it right through what we do at Perusia. Uh, please do yourself a favor and, and, and do that. Um, 
I love your tagline what, what, that you finish off, you know. Um, what is it? We are all called to be saints. What more is there? Is that, is that how it goes? I think uh, that, what's that, your that one actually might, that one might be Patrick Coffins. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think I'm using someone else's. Oh, boy. Patrick. <laughs> but it's, but, you know, it's all the same thing. Life holds yeah. ultimately one tragedy, not to have been a saint. You know, that really is the tagline yeah. because that is the tragedy, right? If either you're going to be a saint or you're not. And the only people who are in heaven are saints. And that's what we have to be. And we don't have two lives to live. We have one life. We start now. And so we're making our path toward heaven at this very moment. And there is a path laid out that we have to walk down in order to get there. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, we are out of time. I want to thank you, uh, Matthew, for joining us um, and sharing your pouring out your, your, your heart with us and, and sharing your life um, journey there. It, it was very, um, very moving for me personally just to hear it. And I hope it's touched many people watching as well. So thank you. You're in my prayers uh, and uh, please pray for us as well. I am. You guys have a great thing going. I encourage people just to dive into Perusia world and uh, to, to, I've gotten several messages from people on the inside already saying, this is like a whole new world opening up to me and uh, they're excited about what you guys are doing. So keep at it. Yeah. Thank you. We will. We won't stop. Um, as long as there's fruit and, and God's blessing it, we'll keep going. Um, do you mind uh, now as a Catholic to close uh, in prayer <laughs> um, as we sign off <laughs> sure. here? Absolutely. In the name of the father and the son and the Holy spirit. Amen. Jesus, you offer us divine life. And in this, Easter season, we revel in the graces that you are pouring out upon us. Help us to never waste one iota of what it is that you give us so that we can become saints and spend eternity with you and draw as many people into your kingdom as possible. In your precious and holy name, amen. Amen. Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you, everyone, for watching. Um, and that's another Perusia podcast. Make sure you go visit scienceofsainthood.com and sign up and take advantage of the two weeks free. Uh, there. What more, you know, what do you got to lose? Please do that and take advantage of it right away. That's another week. Until next time, God bless. Mm -hmm.